the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, author, attorney, Iraq war vet, David French on guns and gun culture. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. After Uvalde and Buffalo, there is so much discussion about what to do about guns. I mean, it's such an enormous topic, and there are so many takes on it and different points of view. And I read a couple recently that really, really intrigued me. And so I want to welcome uh, Mr. David French of the French Press of the Dispatch. He's an author. (laughs) He's an attorney. He's an Iraq war vet. And I I think your perspective on this is so interesting. So thank you for joining us. One of your headlines, uh, I think it was late May, was pass and enforce red red flag laws now. And of course, Subtle. with yeah, <laughs> it was very nuanced. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, there's a there's the strict constitutionalists that are just adamantly against any kind of legislation like this. Mm-hmm. What is your argument to them? Yeah. So the argument is really pretty simple: is that um, I compare a red flag laws to something like a domestic violence protective order. In other words, when somebody has demonstrated that they are a threat to other people in the red flag law context, it's a threat to yourself or to other people. Then traditionally we've had laws that have, that have been able to intervene. So for example, in the domestic violence category, there's a fundamental constitutional right at issue there. That's a person's access to their family, you know, to raise their kids or, to be with their spouse. That's there's a con- core constitutional interest there, but if they're a danger to their spouse, if they're a danger to their kids, the law intervenes and they can be kept away. They can even be kept away with an, what's called an ex parte order, where a family goes a, on an emergency basis to a judge and, without even say the dad they are present, gets an order saying you have to stay away. So there's this precedent for when somebody is a real danger. Even when they're exercising constitutional rights, the law can intervene. And the red flag law is a very similar in concept to this domestic violence protective order. It's saying, instead of a domestic violence protective order, it's saying we're going to have sort of a gun violence restraining order, a gun violence protective order. And when you have demonstrated by your words, by your actions, that you're a threat to yourself or a threat to other people, then the government can intervene at that point. Now, there's due process. 
right? This is this is where it gets interesting because the slippery slope obviously is if I have a vendetta against my ex-husband, let's say, right. I'm, I'm still married, by the way, honey, don't worry. <laughs> I didn't mean that. If if I were to divorce, have a vendetta, didn't want him to see my kids, I could go and lie, couldn't I? And yeah. try to get this this restraining order or ex parte, as it's called, and say, mm-hmm. I don't want him any near, anywhere near me or my kids just because I'm right. pissed off. Right. And things like that do happen. I mean, you talk mm-hmm. to a family law attorney and they'll tell you examples of where people have tried that. But that's why you have due process. You you have to come in and you have to present evidence, you know, not now your testimony is evidence, but you have to present evidence and a person has an opportunity to rebut. Now you can go in and you can say it's an emergency. It's an emergency. We haven't had a chance to notify the gun owner yet, but even then under the law, they have an opportunity to come in after a temporary seizure and get their, their guns back if there's no evidence. And so the the goal here with the red flag law, now, why why would I be so emphatic about this? Why would I say pass red flag laws now, now. after <laughs> now, after Uvalde? And the answer is found in a study. There's been 50 years. This is really sad to think about, but 50 years of mass shootings in the U.S. So the National Institute for Justice funded a study of 50 years of mass shootings and what they found in that 50-year study is that most shooters leak their plans before they open fire. In other words, they talk about what they're going to do. And so, and you see this time and time again, yeah, yeah. shooters time and time again will issue wild threats. They'll threaten the school. They'll threaten other people. Um, they'll engage in conduct that should disqualify them from having a gun. But because the, especially the mental health system is sort of so broken on a 50 state level, um, and because maybe they haven't committed a, a felony yet that disqualifies, disqualifies them from gun ownership. Um, and even if they have committed a felony, Michelle, nobody's going in and getting their gun if they already have a gun. And so um, in this circumstance, what it says is, wait a minute, we have data that says most of the time these mass shooters leak their plans. So most, most of, of the, the time. time is, is that 51%? Is that 48%? Is it 79%? What is most of the time? Yeah. If you look at the study and you add together sort of all of the different ways in which people broadcast violent intentions, I don't have it right in front of me, but right. it's, it's much more than like 50.1. It looks okay. like much more in the round of getting closer to say 70. And the study again was the National Institute. It was funded by the National Institute for Justice. And what are they about? What is what was their intent on? Do you know on? Yeah. So basically, what they wanted to do was look at all mass shootings that have occurred to try to find out what are the patterns, what are the things that are common, and some of it's kind of counterintuitive. Uh, In the vast majority of mass shootings. AR-15s are not used, for example. Um, they they're use handguns instead of rifles. So, you know, when you think of mass shootings and modern mass shootings, there's been a bunch of mass shootings with these AR-15 weapons, but the vast majority are not done with assault weapons. They're done with uh, handguns. Okay. The other interesting thing is that unlike other kinds of violent gun crime, the vast majority of mass shooters get their guns legally. In other words, they've passed a background check or they've obtained it in a, you know, they've obtained their gun in a legal manner. And so 
it's it's much more difficult to sort of say, well, if we just extend background checks, then that's going to take care of mass shootings because well they they these guys pass background checks or there and, are ways around it right 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 exactly and you know so one of the things that's important is you have to look at all of at these studies and you have to look at what the the studies of the effects of various gun control laws say to determine whether or not you know something's going to be effective so in addition to the National Institute for Justice study there's uh, the Rand Corporation, which is one of the most respected sort of think tanks in the United States, has done this study of all studies. In other words, they've looked at all the various different kinds of gun control measures enacted in the United States, and they found that none of the sort of popular gun control measures have any discernible effect on mass shootings, including expanded background checks, including assault weapons bans. And they kind of said about red flag laws, well, we just don't have enough data yet. They're they're pretty new. They've only been passed in a minority of states. And right. many of the states, nobody even knows they're there. So, you know, it's like they're not even, they're not enforced because people don't know they're there. So people don't know that they can say, call an authority and say, you know, exactly. I think this, okay, because they don't know that law exists. That's interesting. So we have red flag laws in some states. And I love the notion of all 50 states being 50 laboratories and let's see how it works. Mm -hmm. But as you said, there's not a ton of data. So when there isn't a ton of data, and you've got this pushback from these strict constitutionalists and even from, you know, look, you're a vet and I've heard from other vets that they say, look, I come back. I've maybe got PTSD. Someone thinks I'm a danger to myself. I'm really not. I should be allowed to have a firearm because I know how to handle them. I mean, mm. so no. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it depends on what. So red flag laws are located in behavior there what what kind of behavior are you evidencing so okay. if somebody says well i'm you know engaged in suicidal ideation but i don't really mean it too bad you know yeah. that that's you know how can we look into your heart if you're engaged in suicidal ideation or if you're engaged in threatening um you know in threatening posting for example well you know one of the responsibilities of being a responsible gun owner is not radiating threat and menace <laughs> to yeah. your community yeah. or to yourself. And so if if you really are under control, you can engage you can choose not to engage in suicidal ideation or choose not to engage in threatening um posting about a school or your employer. You know, so that this one of the things uh you know, look, there are people and if if the measure is we're if the measure here is we have to persuade the unpersuadable. I mean, there are people who don't want to see any restriction on gun ownership at all. And that's really, I wouldn't even call that a strict constitutionalist because that's, there's no real foundate constitutional foundation for that argument. Um, okay. There has long been regulation on the use or carrying of firearms in the United States of America, even going back to colonial times. So there has, this is not an unregulated arena and there's okay. no Supreme Court case that says it should or would be an unregulated arena. So um, the answer then is if you want to be a responsible, if you want to be a gun owner, there's a baseline level of responsibility here. Right. And, right. and part of that baseline, this, it's not a high hurdle to, to surmount is to not engage in suicidal ideation, not engage in threatening communication. I mean, this is not a tough ask. 
Can you liken it then to, hey, I want to be able to drive, but I can't speed down, you know, residential streets and I can't. And if I do, I'm I'm going to pay a price for that. That's regulated. You know, being able to drive doesn't mean you just can drive wherever you want to drive. Right. However you want to drive. There's reckless behavior that can even get through the removal of your driver's license. Right, right. <laughs> and and with the red flag law, what we're talking about is actually a temporary removal here. So this is not a okay. permanent bar in the way that a felony conviction can be, for example, or being adjudicated dangerously mentally ill. What we're talking about is a temporary removal in a time of crisis. And, okay. And that's an opportunity for somebody to get help, hopefully, to get, get their mind straight, um, so we're not talking about a permanent deprivation of the right to keep and bear arms. We're talking about a temporary removal from a person who's engaged in behavior that indicates that they're they're dangerous. And this connects with a long tradition we have in this country of regulating, of saying about our our gun rights that there are certain behaviors you can engage in that will cause you to forfeit that right, like the felony, committing a felony. This is almost universally agreed upon in this culture that if you commit particular violent felony or violent acts of domestic abuse, your behavior has disqualified you from from gun ownership. Right. And rather than sort of saying, okay, we're going to ban guns, a certain category of guns for everybody, including the 999 out of 1,000 who are law-abiding, Right. Uh, this is saying about you, if you're going to possess a gun, there's just some responsibilities that are attached to that. And I think it connects with the way people understand rights and responsibilities. Do you think these red flag laws should be state by state, state to state, or should there be a federal red flag? What, what do you think? I think they need to be state laws. Um, federal law is very imperfect for this. One is for a couple of reasons. One is um, it's hard to see exactly how they'd be constitutional. Um uh, you know, I I can see the argument, but it's 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 a hard argument to make. It's um, that that uh, you can pass that that a federal red flag law will be constitutional on its face just because of the limited authority of the federal government. Right. The other issue is the the draft red flag federal red flag legislation that I've seen allows you to go to federal courts to get a red flag order. Well, there's not that many federal courts around the country, so. You know, in Tennessee, where I am, you have the Middle District of Tennessee, you have the Western District of Tennessee, you have the Eastern District of Tennessee, and there's very few, um, there's very few, uh, a lot of people don't live close to a federal courthouse at all, but everybody lives pretty close to their county courthouse, at least. And so um, a federal legislation could, you know, somebody could be a hundred miles from a federal courthouse. Right. There's just not that many of them. And so- it's very, it would be very spotty coverage, um, whereas a state law, you would have much greater ability to actually enforce it, much greater access to the courts. So when you are flipping around on the cable TV and you see various voices, and uh-huh. there are some who are strongly against these red flag laws, what is their biggest pushback? What is their biggest complaint? Their biggest complaint, well, one is people call it, it's pre-crime. In other words, are like they say it's like trying to predict who's going to commit crime, which you can't really do. But my answer to that is it's not pre-crime. It's not sort of saying, I know Johnny is going to shoot up a school. 
It's saying, I know Johnny has engaged in behavior that is indicating that he's a threat to himself and others, that this behavior is what I'm focused on. Not, you know, I'm not trying, I'm not saying that he's definitely going to do something in the future that we just stopped. But what I'm saying is he's engaging in behavior that indicates that he, that he's a threat. And and if Johnny wants to retain his weapons, Johnny should not engage in that behavior. I mean, this is this is a really pretty simple formula here. So I think part of it is you're saying, well, it's pre-crime. No, no, it's exactly the same analysis that you have for a domestic violence restraining order. It's right. there's behavior that indicates right. the potential for threat. And so, so if you Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. If you see a post by Johnny... On, yeah. on social media that says, I can't wait to go rip up this school, uh, you might want to call authorities. And, and yeah. that, would be, that, might, that would be a legal phone call to make. The authorities would have the legal right to go say, hey, Johnny, we saw this post. We really don't think you ought to have a gun right now. If he's holding an AR-15 and he's saying, don't go to you know, such and such high school tomorrow. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm yeah. s- you know, so... And then the other issue people have is the due process issue. They say, well, wait a minute. Um, this is a constitutional right. How can you deprive me of this constitutional right? Well, you know, the Fifth Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment um, say that you can, in fact, deprive somebody of liberty with due process of law. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you can lose access to a liberty through due process of law. And Again, comparing to the domestic violence restraining order regime, the due process at issue in many red flag circumstances is actually stricter than applies to domestic violence restraining orders. For example, in Tennessee, where I am, you can get an ex parte order barring a member of the family from coming to their own home for, quote, good cause shown. It's a pretty vague standard. You have to just go in and give good cause. Now, a person has due process where they can uh, go on, uh, you know, we, a person has a, a process where they can then appeal the order and they can try to get the order reversed. And, you know, in those circumstances, you know, that's, again, due process. Now, due process can happen before deprivation, a, temp- a deprivation of liberty, or it can happen after a temporary deprivation of liberty. It's still due process. So, I think a lot of people forget that the Constitution, heck, the Constitution says you can take life with due process. That's yeah. the death penalty, right? Yeah. So there, you life, liberty, and property can be seized with due process. And what red flag laws do is provide due process. 
It's a really interesting debate. And I tend to look of all the answers or possible solutions to these mass shootings. This one seems the most sane. Uh, You know, it's not it's not like we're saying everybody turn in your guns. We're Australia. And it's, you know, and so it's and it's not just saying, hey, we want to take your guns. It's 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 a little more sane. As you said, there's due process involved. I tend to be on the side of these red flags. I mean, if if it could if it could prohibit a Uvalde and I guess you can never prove that something was prohibited. Right. Well, you know, that's the difficulty is you can't even if somebody says, hey, I've just bought my Air 15. Don't go to school tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And you take their weapon. You can't you don't you don't prove that you've stopped a mass shooting. Maybe the guy was all talk. Yeah. So the way you would have to measure this is over time. Yes. And, did, you know, over time, is there a decreased number of mass shootings? And with various controls, how do you attribute that decrease? It's complicated. Yeah. But the thing that I think is important about this is it isn't just de- dealing with mass shootings. So there's really three buckets of of gun crime or of gun violence in this country. One is more what you would call common crime. That would be street violence or domestic violence. Um, The other would be suicides, which is where most people die to guns in this country. Far more people die to suicide than they do to crime. And then the third category is the very rare, but always horribly shocking mass shooting. And what the red flag laws do is they deal with also with suicides, with suicidal ideation. Right. And so they give you a chance if you're a member of a family, if you're an educator, if you're an employer, to say so and so's in is obviously in crisis, right? And um, you know, I know a number of people who, when they've been when they've been in crisis, I know people who, when they've been in crisis, friends or family have taken guns out of their house, right? Um, but what this gives is you know an opportunity if if that person doesn't want to let go of their gun and they're in an obvious state of crisis, that the opportunity to get law enforcement involved, and so. This is a measure that's aimed at two of the three big areas of gun death. And whereas many other gun regulations are not, you know, like uh, uh, a felony in possession law or prohibitions on straw purchasers, they're much more aimed at like street level gun violence. They have really nothing at all to do with suicide and, and they have not much at all to do with with mass shootings. We're talking with David French. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the culture of guns in America and how it's changed. He has a really interesting story about why he and his wife carry guns and why some people get a little, I don't know, boisterous about their gun ownership. Anyway, we'll talk about (laughs) it when we come back. Friends, since November of last year, the stock market has plummeted, but gold has been on the rise. Now, At a time when gas prices are insane, the stock market is as volatile as it's ever been. Inflation is even worse than it was a year ago. And we have this war between Russia and Ukraine that we hope doesn't spread to the rest of the world. Well, the markets don't like this kind of instability. But the good news is you have options. Gold prices are rising as investors turn to gold for protection. Gold provides a hedge against inflation and protects against a weakening dollar. Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust when investing in gold and silver. You need an investment that will protect your wealth and your retirement, right? There's 
nothing really more important when it comes to your financial plan. So call Legacy Precious Metals today. Be proactive while there's still time. Let's hearken back to 2008, shall we? Those who invested in gold saw huge gains while others simply lost their retirements. Legacy Precious Metals can advise you of all your options for investing in gold and silver. And you can just speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. Call them. What have you got to lose? You can just ask some questions at 866-528-1903. 866-528-1903. Or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Author, attorney, Iraq war vet, David French is our guest. He writes the French press on The Dispatch, which I highly recommend. You can find it at thedispatch.com and just look at his column, The French Press, which is a very clever, clever uh, title, by the way. (laughs) Um, So why do you own a gun, David? Uh, Real simple, for self-defense. So um, we have been in the public eye to some degree for some time and uh, have received threats. Um, I mean, not just, you know, random Twitter comments, but as serious as somebody actually coming to our house. Um, You know, there was this terrible incident uh, several years ago where my wife was at home with our kids and I was off at work and somebody pulled up to our house blocked the driveway to our house uh, with their car and then got up and walked up the driveway. And oddly enough, he had an empty pistol holster um, at his side, which was strange and demanded to see me. Um, And so my wife's outside with, with uh, our kids and, you know, she was able to sort of cleverly diffuse the situation by getting a neighbor involved to come over but that was really the first of a number of incidents um, that began to escalate over the next several years. But that one incident was enough um, yeah. to to get my wife to say, OK, I need to buy a gun. I need to carry a gun. And uh, so she did. And she got serious about it as if you're going to own a gun in this country, you should be very serious. It's a it's a grave responsibility to own a gun. So she took a handgun class. Um, she took a tactical handgun class. I mean, she took a self-defense class. She went through all the steps to be a very responsible gun owner. And at every step of the way, you know, she was interacting with people who were very serious and sober-minded about the responsibility of owning a gun. And, and you know, that's a very important part of the story that people were looking at ownership of guns. And, and you know, these are Second Amendment supporting folks as really, you know, hey, look, this is an empowering uh, step that you can take to protect yourself and your family. Police can't be there all of the time. And but there was not this sort of sense of here, let me show you my Christmas card with all my AR-15s or let me walk around town with, you know, open carrying my weapon. Let me, you know, this sort of very aggressive in your face sort of gun ownership that was not the ethos that I grew up with, not the ethos that she grew up with. And she grew up in a household that owned guns. I grew up in a household that owned guns. That was just not the ethos at all. Um, that kind of swagger, or you're going to get your man card by having a gun. That was absurd. That was ridiculous. Owning a gun doesn't make you a man. Owning a, having a gun doesn't give you swagger. You know, that, that, 
that kind of ethos was an anathema to responsible gun ownership. But what I've seen in the, especially now there's always been an element in the gun rights community. That's pretty, you know, flamboyant about owning a gun and, you know, openly displaying all their weaponry. There's always been that owner, that element, but it seems to be really growing the sort of, I'm going to put my arsenal in your face, um, either by open carrying at protests or on social media, or, you know, as we've seen with politician Christmas cards, this sort of very aggressive way of, you know, and in this sort of, you know, this marketing that says this is giving you your man card back, man card reissued. Uh, it creates a, a sense, I think, of menace to a lot of people in this country. And and it's a sense of um, defiance that's beyond something like you can't take my guns. It's a defiance that says, I'm not going to let you govern me. <laughs> I'm gonna, not going to. I'm I'm carrying this gun in open defiance of even, you know, lawful governmental regulation. And it's, it's a, it's a dark turn, I think. Yeah. I, I, you know, it was pointed out to me that when people run for office and their flyers or their posters or whatever they have, their mailers show them holding a big AR 15, that it's a real turnoff to some people. I, I'm kind of neither here nor there, but when I read your piece on this, I thought, yeah, there really has been a change. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember this growing up. I don't remember people talking, you know, if, if, if someone's parent had a gun when you were a little kid, it was whispered. It was not talked about. Yeah. yeah. And now, as you said, it's, it's on Christmas cards. It's on mailers. Yeah. It's, it's this really like, come after me if you dare kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think this happened? Well, you know, I think a couple of reasons why this happened. One is guns became a very, very partisan issue. Um, they didn't used to be so partisan, and we're in a we're in a world in which um, your partisanship becomes much more part of your identity than it used to be. Um, this is something that's been one of the most well documented phenomenon in American culture: is the centrality of partisan identity um, to millions and millions of Americans. And so people begin to adopt lifestyle markers that signify their partisanship. And so one of the lifestyle markers that signifies Republican partisanship now is, you know, uh, in my part of the country, it's having a big truck. It's having an AR-15. It's, you know, it's it, there's just a variety of sort of ways in which you live that identify which tribe you're a part of. And and do it very defiantly, you know, and, and do it. In, and there's also this now uh, also a mindset that I did not grow up with called owning the libs or triggering the libs, where you actually are trying to make your political opponent feel discomfort. You're trying to make them upset. And so there are few better ways to make, you know, many pr progressives upset than openly displaying weapons. Now, the problem you run into is, there are a few better ways to just make normal people feel uncomfortable than running around openly displaying weapons. Uh, so what is a to... normal person anymore? I, you know, you, you talked about this, that <laughs> we all now have our tribes. And yeah. Yeah. I think this is true, not only on the gun level, you know, if people have the signs in their front yard that say in Fauci, we trust, or if they have the sign in their front yard that says in our house, this is this and science yeah. is yeah. science and da da da. I mean, it's this very outright virtue signaling that oh, I just don't remember before 
you know, I hate to say it, but maybe it's really been in the last 15 years, 10 years, maybe even that, that this has happened. And, and you, you talked about the conservatives doing it to the libs. I just wonder if it's happening the other way around as well, because there is so much outward expression oh, yeah, of yeah. some of these really leftist ideologies. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, you, you, you pointed out the signs, for example, um, you know, there's all kinds of very outward, open ways of sort of signaling your political allegiance. The use of language, for example, this absurd Latinx thing, you know, that, you know, so that was a signal that was radiating. I'm a, you know, I'm a progressive in good standing. Never mind that Hispanic Americans were like, what is Latinx? You know, hello, I'm a Latina. <laughs> and and I, I, when this happened and the first time I heard it, truth be told, was while I was doing my Peloton ride. And they said, we want to celebrate all the Latinx. And I, and I went, what is Latinx? This is something I've never heard before. And then <laughs> right. I decided, I discovered that it was a way to take the, the, the gender out of Latino or Latina, which yeah. we all go by. And the whole, in fact, the whole language is based on <laughs> right. feminine and masculine. Right. Right. You know, and I grew up when I first went to law school was the advent of spelling women with an X, you know, W-O-M-X-N, you know, that, you know, so those kinds of things where you're sort of radiating my, here's my political affiliation, they're common across the political spectrum. Um, It's just not really one you see on the left that someone's carrying an AR-15. That's something you're going to... You're going to see on the right now. There's but what, all yeah, kind of- uh, contra on the uh, just for the sake of discussion and illustration, what you'll see on the left is women holding baby dolls with blood all over their clothes. Right at right. at, at uh, abortion rallies. I mean, it's it's really there are some stark <laughs> examples on both sides. Yeah, or the women's march with the hats and the yeah yeah. So now the interesting thing is, I mean, this is. You're Michelle, you're 100% correct that this stuff has been on the rise in the last many years because partisan animosity has been really increasing over the past 10 to 15 years. So your partisan signaling, the desire to make people upset, all of that's really increasing. But here's what's interesting. Majority of Americans are not on board with it. They might be Republicans, they might be Democrats, they might be independents. But the research shows that there's this group of people called the exhausted majority. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that term. I know. It's I great. just refer to them as the middle, but I like exhausted majority better. Yeah. It, well, and the great thing about it is that they're not actually all in the middle. Some of them are on the left, some of them are on the right, and some are in the middle, but they're just sick of all of this. They're just sick of it all. And, and so these are the people who are going to look at like the in this house, we, we do this, 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 and this, or they're going to look at the AR-15 Christmas card. And they're just like, can we not do this? You know, can we, and, but you know, that, that exhausted majority is kind of checked out of a lot of our public life. And so it leaves sort of the world to the super animated, angry, partisan, polarized wings. And it makes you feel like that's where everybody is. But it's not like that at all. Those the, are just the voices being amplified. And, and you know, I think if we were really kind of intellectually honest about this, we could trace this, this tribalism back toward the advent of some of the social media. You know, this is, it seems to me it's increased now. Maybe it's just the, the 
volume and yeah. the amplitude has increased since social media has come on the scene because we, it's in our face. You can't scroll through Twitter or anything without feeling bombarded, right? Oh, you just, for you sure. Can't. Well, you know, there's a couple of things that happen with social media, but I will say this. A lot of this partisan animosity really got going in the 90s. Uh, before social media, a lot of it got going in the Clinton impeachment and the Gingrich war, the wars between Clinton and Gingrich. And, and so, but then social media takes a lot of it and just really puts it on rocket fuel. And, and the way it does it is really, if you're, if you're somebody who's super online and you should not be somebody who's super online, I'm, I'm online too much, Michelle, I need to, I need to back off and listen to my own advice, but I know but if you're super online, you're constantly aware of an outrage somewhere. You know, a kid gets a MAGA hat knocked off his head in a Burger King in Des Moines, and you'll, you'll have live footage of it, you know, immediately. Whereas it used to be that we were not conscious of every outrage that was happening everywhere. And so because we're aware of every outrage that's happening everywhere, you can, if you're super partisan, you can feel like you're constantly under siege. Like they're always doing something bad. Well, it's a nation of 330 million people. You're going to find somebody doing something bad somewhere all of the time, all the time. And if you're on the left, you're going to find somebody on the right who's doing something crazy all the time. And if you're on the right, you're going to find somebody on the left who's doing something crazy all of the time. So you always have ammunition to be, you know, for your anger. You always have something to be angry about. Well, that there, there is the word that matters, this anger, because it is a choice whether or not you want to be angry. I mean, it, it, that is one of those emotions you have some agency over. In other words, I could sit down, David, and watch an hour of primetime television, and I could find a thousand things to be offended by if I wanted yeah, yeah. to. If I wanted True. to, you know, and, and even if, and even if they didn't really offend me, I could say, oh, someone could be offended by that commercial right there because it portrayed the white man as being really stupid. You know, I mean, <laughs> right, I, right. I could sit and watch 30 minutes of television and come up with a whole page of examples. So then it becomes my choice to decide, am I really going to let, you know, a soap commercial ruin my night or aggravate right. me or, or make me feel attacked or make me feel you know, uh, abused in some way. That is a choice, I think, because yeah. then we're taking part. We're ta we're allowing that commercial, whatever the case be, that character on a sitcom to offend us. And yeah. if you're yeah. a stoic, and I try to be, uh, then you know that you are participating in the crime if you allow yeah. that yeah. thing to bother you so much. And so I think there is a lot, there's this, there's this mass amount of people that are willing to feel somehow victimized or just pinpricked by every little oh. offense that they see. And that's on, on them to a certain extent. It's on them to a great extent. Uh, there, there are a lot of people, this is the rocket fuel of their life. I mean, this is, gives them, this gives them a sense of purpose and meaning is that they're really angry. And that, that sort of sense of anger and, and fury is what's driving them and giving them it even in many ways, um, gives them their relationships. They find other angry people on, online, right? And then, yeah, you know, and I love what you said about Stoics. I wrote a, a piece, um, gosh, a couple of months ago called Stoics Needed that we, 
We just need some, there was this book that um, Guy Benson, who's a Fox uh, contributor and Mary Catherine Ham wrote, gosh, years ago, almost 10 years ago now about this building outrage culture. And then they ended, ended it by saying, we need a chill the heck out coalition that just not everything is a reason to take the alarm to 10 or 11. You know, sometimes you just got to let people be. And if somebody's, you know, saying something that you don't like, you, you're free to ignore it. You're, you're you free are to... free to ignore it. Yes. It, that we can't repeat that enough. You don't have to pay attention to every little thing. And I think what you said is so important that it gives people purpose because for now yeah. in whatever they're doing, their life is lacking a genuine purpose. And I think we could find a million tentacles to that story. But, yes. you know, I, I think back to the time of if, if you watch 1883, the, the prequel to Yellowstone, and you see what people had to deal with just to survive back in the day, you know, <laughs> True. or my mom and dad growing up during the Depression, what they had to deal with just to get by. They, there was no room for outrage about this kind of stuff because they were trying to figure out where the next meal was coming from, you know, that hierarchy yeah, yeah. of needs and and how they were going to, you know, oh, Uncle Joe needs to now move in with us because he lost his house, you know, stuff like that. And so I just think we're such a comfortable society that maybe <laughs> some of this discomfort showing up in the form of supply chain breakups and so forth can be a little bit of a wake up call for some of these people who think their problems are, are just interfering over something that Dr. Fauci said. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. You, you brought that up The if you actually look at the demographics of the wings, in other words, the people are driving polarization in this country. Um, all of this has been studied and, and the people who are driving the, the polarization tend to be disproportionately wealthy um, and disproportionately well-educated and they are, in other words, they're the wealthiest cohort of the most powerful and wealthy nation in the history of the world. And they're tearing each other to pieces, whereas the people who are actually sort of more likely to be struggling in this country are not so polarized. And, and the interesting thing is the people who spend the most time online, Michelle, are the most wrong about their political opponents. The people who spend the most time online tend to believe their political opponents are far more extreme and hateful than they really are. But the people who don't spend any time online at all, they're accurate about their political opponents because they get their data about their opponents from these things called friendships. <laughs> I tried to explain that to someone recently. If you go to a baseball game that your kid is playing in, yeah, you yeah. may understand that someone's a little bit different politically based on the conversation you have hanging out in the stands, but it isn't so extreme. It isn't so outrageous and you can have normal conversations. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and that's why, you know, I, I was talking to a guy the other day and he was a staunch Republican, but just tired of it all. And, and this is kind of sad. I mean, he, he said, look, after January 6th, I just turned it all off. I turned off Fox. I, I deleted my social media my blood pressure went down. I'm a better husband and a better father. And I thought, well, good for him, but kind of bad for us because he's a reasonable guy and he's checked out. Um, and it's better for him, but you know, we can't have all the reasonable people checking out. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> that is a great point. Well, as long as they don't check out 
when it's time to go to the ballot box, I think that's yeah, important. Yeah. I mean, that's our that's our strongest coalition right there, uh, whichever way you lean. And yeah, um, yeah. so that that's that is my hope. But you know what? It is a loss for a lot of us, but it's a big gain for his wife and kids and for himself. And True. that may have that may have a trick, you know, sort of a, a ripple effect throughout society. We can only hope. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a fascinating topic. I, I I enjoy your work so much. He's David French. You can read him at the French Press, which is a column on the Dispatch, which has just been hugely successful and really, I think, just so thoughtful and even keeled. And I appreciate it a lot. So it's great to talk with you. And I love your insights. Thank you so much, David. Well, thanks for having me, Michelle. I've followed you forever. So this is a, a real a tremendous honor to be on. See how old I am? He's followed me forever. So I just no, been around, no, no. I've been around for ages. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, this is an interesting turn for me in my life, David. And it was one I felt was important enough to, to walk away from what many people feel was just the most coveted job in television sports. And, and I believe mm-hmm. that too for a sideline reporter. But there's something bigger than that for me to to try to try to bridge a gap or at least make a yeah. difference yeah. even in the tiniest sense. So I appreciate your, your coming on and being my guest in that. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Michelle. This has been Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. So with the economy the way that it is, which is not great, makes you think about what is smart investing these days? I was given a gift of gold by my mom. My husband and I were gifted some gold for a wedding anniversary and we're really grateful. And I am really grateful to Charles Thorngren, who grow, who joins us now from Legacy Precious Metals, a sponsor of Sideline Sanity. Charles, we appreciate you so much. You know, we're hearing more and more about how inflation ain't transitory after all, and it may be here a while. And, you know, food shelves are getting, the lines are longer. It, this is really, it's not the America I grew up in, and it's, it's worrying a lot of people. So if, if someone's thinking about investing, what do you tell them? You, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation. Investing nowadays, uh, we, we want to go back to kind of the basics, really, where diversification has always been key and and we hear it we've been told it ad nauseum you know diversify diversify and then everyone puts all their money in the stock market and wonders <laughs> why when there's a pullback they're in trouble diversity means asset class diversity as well you know some real estate um some precious metals these are the things that gives your portfolio the legs to stand through all the storms that will happen financially and, and we know that they happen they happen continuously and they recur so that's what diversity is truly meant to do. And that's why people used to talk about diversity. So when people see the value of the dollar declining or they see inflation, um, how do you get the average person like me to understand that gold can still be appreciating or that gold can protect right. against that stuff? How, how does that make sense for people? You know, the, the easiest way to look at it is if you look at gold, right? Gold is the anti-dollar investment. As a dollar gets weaker, gold gets stronger. And we know that because it takes more dollars to buy that gold, just like cars cost more now, right? Um, anytime you have inflation, the item that you're buying costs more. The difference with gold is that it doesn't devalue. It's considered a alternative currency. 
basically, when you say that I don't have complete faith that this financial system is not built on a house of cards, or I don't have complete faith in, in what the current Fed is doing to fight inflation, this is where gold comes in. And this is where we see people increase their amount of gold because a diversified portfolio should have some gold regardless. We need to remember that the United States Fed says 2 to 3% inflation is ideal. So that means for the average saver, if your retirement account's invested and it's based in dollars, that you're going to lose 60% of your purchasing power to inflation by the time you're ready to retire. And that's under the best of terms. And now we can talk about the, oh, it's transitory. Oh, no, maybe I was wrong. Um, maybe we need to do half basis points every month for the rest of the year and then see where it's at next year. These are scary things that mm -hmm. the experts are trying to tell us that maybe we didn't have it right. And this is why people have gold. And this is why it offers that protection. It's interesting. Uh, I, you know, I think people think, well, if I'm investing in gold, do I actually possess the gold in, you know, I have it in a safe. Do I have, how do you get gold? How do you keep gold? Right. And, and physical gold. I mean, this is what we do. So yes, if you're buying it outside of an IRA, we can deliver it right to your home and you can put it in your own safe. You can put it in your safety deposit box. If you don't feel comfortable with that, we do offer storage for our clients as well. Okay. So there's lots of options. Uh, in the IRA, it's stored for you, just like your IRA account. You don't have access to those stocks. So if you were to take funds from your IRA, you could make that investment and you'd have the retirement account invested in the precious metals as well. And it would be handled just like every other IRA account. That's really interesting. And, and now I'm going to ask you a tough one, and I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm just going to be candid uh, and, and ask what I think might be coming to people's minds. Sure. If the experts in Washington are making all these mistakes or they were wrong about inflation, then they're going to look at you and say, hey, Charles, why should I trust what you're telling me and why legacy precious metals is the place to go? I'm, I'm asking this in an honest sure. way because I, I, I know you want to be transparent about this stuff. So how would you Absolutely. answer that? You know, it really is. It's, I'm not a politician. Um, <laughs> I have no desire to be a politician. I like what I do, right? I help people prepare their finances. I help people with their retirements. I help people set up their funds so that their children and their grandchildren have something that's there. This is what I do. This is what I do for uh, enjoyment. Um, uh, very big in economics. Um, um, but metals is that thing that it's an alternative asset, right? When I was a stockbroker 30 plus years ago, it was unique kind of then. And then everybody was a stockbroker and everyone had stocks and there was nothing different. There was no protection. Everyone said the same thing. To me, it didn't make sense for everyone to be doing the same thing. If we all do the same thing, then we all fall together. And we know that if you follow the government's direction, you're buying into whatever they want to sell you. Now, it used to be politics was a little different. We've gotten into a place where we can't say that anymore. It's not always for the people. It's, we see that. We see that what they're doing with the economy itself. We know that we have to have something else. And this is why we do what we do here at Legacy. And my history is, is why people should, you know, give us a call.
chat with us and see if it makes sense for them. Last thing I want to ask you about is I remember 2008 and I know a lot of people Mm do. And you know, that was a crash and there've been other crashes, but why is it that when the economy crashes, gold has historically risen? I know you said it's sort of the anti-dollar. Right. Is there a way in layman's terms to explain why that happens? It's it's the safe place, right? When, when there's so much risk out there and people are losing so much money, they just want safety. Mm-hmm. So l- let's look at inflation. We know right now we're running close to eight and a half percent. Yeah. Uh, we can dig some real numbers out there and we can debate that, but we'll just take that number as it is. We'll use 8%. That means everything costs you 8% more this year than it did last year. And we know it's going to go higher because the Fed's already promised us a lot more interest rate raises, right, to fight inflation. But we know it's not enough. When they say things like, we'll try to raise half a basis point five times over the next six months and see where the economy's at next year. That in itself lets you know you need to find something that doesn't put your livelihood in their hands. They're they're juggling an economy and the stock market, and that was never meant to be that way. So you have to protect yourself. And this is where gold comes in because it is the anti-dollar. The weaker the dollar gets, the stronger gold gets. And, you know, 2008, I remember after it happened, um, the people that would call and try to salvage their retirement accounts. And it was a very devastating time. People would call and they would be crying that they can't retire now. They have to continue to work. They're 67 years old and their plans are gone because they lost half their value. And that's devastating. You know, but this is where those who were involved in gold, they saw gold almost double in price. It offset the losses. It offset the losses. So again, Charles is not suggesting that you put all your money in one place, no. that not even gold, but diversify your assets and precious metals is a good way to go. And legacy precious metals is the only company I trust when I talk about and do my investing in gold and silver, and you can contact them as well. LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. I don't know why you would waste another minute thinking about it. Just talk to them. I mean, just ask them. See what your situation can can manage and handle and might require and just get some answers. Uh, Charles, I appreciate your time. Thanks for this. It's been very educational. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com